Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. How's it going, Redeemer? Uh, my name's Jeff Martin, lead pastor here, and I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 11 as we continue our series head on, where we are talking about hard questions, questions that people actually have when it comes to our faith in Christ. And, and so today we're going to talk about the problem of pain and suffering. I mean, if, if God's good and he's powerful, then why would he let things like COVID-19 happen? Why would he let all this racial injustice be our history? Why is there still pain coming from that? What do we do with genocides and holocausts and natural disasters and cancer and all of the stuff that we deal with, why does that stuff exist? I mean, does the, is the Christian God real? The Christian God that we claim to be powerful and good in the light or in the face of all of that type of stuff. And, and so we wanna wrestle with that this morning. And I would contend, right, that, that if you think like that's game, set, match, like pain and suffering exists, therefore the Christian God cannot, that might seem like the torpedo that sinks, that sinks our faith, but, it, but it's not a wrecking ball that knocks us down. I would contend that it's not the wrecking ball that takes us down, it's the cornerstone with which Christianity is, is built upon. All right, so real quick, before we get into, um, into a biblical perspective of pain and suffering, I wanna address it from a philosophical level. Um, one is you can make an easy case that the existence of evil, the existence of pain and suffering is actually a better case for the existence of God than it is for um, the absence of God or the, the non-existence of God. Because if, if you have a real question about pain and suffering then, or injustice, you have to admit there must be some type of moral standard that's absolute. And if for moral standards to be absolute, to transcend um, people and time and place, then it has to transcend us. And, and if there's some absolute moral law giver that transcends us, then, then who is he or who is it? It, it? it can make a case for a God just, just as much, right? But the problem of pain is generally framed like this. It's, it's a trilemma. It's, it says, God is good. God is powerful, but evil exists. And so one of these can't be true, right? We know evil exists, so maybe it's because God's not all powerful. Like, yes, he is, he is loving and he's good, but but he just doesn't have the power to remove evil, so therefore he doesn't. So, so yeah, he's good, evil exists, but he's not all powerful. Or maybe he is all powerful and he can, but he chooses not to. And if he chooses not to, can we call him good? And, and so this trilemma is, is a, a philosophical argument that stacks the deck against the Christian God. And when I say it stacks the deck is because it's limited to three things. Why not add a fourth or a fifth? Because there are other things we affirm about the Christian God. We believe that he's also all-knowing. We believe that he is also eternal. And if that's true, if those two premises are true, then we can make a case that there could be a reason to evil or a reason to pain and suffering that's beyond our understanding, um, that, that in the end is, is for our good. Uh, I think about my dog. I have this huge dog. It's a Newfoundland. And if I look across the room to see if he's in his crate and he's, I don't see him, it's reasonable for me to conclude he's not there. But let's say that my dog is by my feet and he's, he's scratching and he's nibbling at himself. I'm like, I wonder if he's got fleas. And so I look across the room to the same crate and I'm like, I don't see any fleas, therefore there must not be any. That's not a reasonable conclusion because my sight is limited to see something of that, of that 
smallness, right? It, uh, that distance, uh, my perspective's not right. And so in the same way, if God's also all-knowing and eternal, then we could say that our sight as, as finite beings trying to make sense of an infinite being, maybe our sight is, is limited to see the reasons for pain and suffering. Maybe there is something we just can't, can't see it, all right? And, and so like, okay, philosophical arguments though, right? Let's just admit that if you're hurting today, if, if, because pain and suffering, no one's exempt from it. Like we, we all struggle with this, whether that's uh, you're, maybe you're physically sick, maybe you've got like a, a depression that you're wrestling through or financial hardship. Maybe there's a relationship you're in that's just falling apart and breaking. Maybe you're caring for a parent um, who's, who's getting older and is sick. Or, or we could just go down the list of thousands of situations where people are like, this is, this is hard, right? Like, let's just say that philosophical answers don't satisfy. <laughs> They don't satisfy, right? Um, but I would say neither does a naturalistic perspective. I mean, if, if we're like, well, that's just the way the world is, you know, um, molecules make mistakes, disease happens, and, um, and sometimes accidents occur, and biology drives our behavior, that doesn't, that doesn't satisfy or make sense of the grittiness of life. That doesn't make sense of how we feel justified in our anger towards things that aren't that aren't right. And so I would say, let's not talk about this philosophically, but I want to give a biblical perspective because I believe where philosophy fails to truly satisfy the the depths of our heart, I believe that the Christian perspective offers us something that nothing else can. And, And so that's why I want to jump to John 11. So all to say there are philosophical ways of understanding this, but I get it. That doesn't work for the depths of what you're struggling with. And so I want to show where, where Jesus meets us in our pain and suffering. So John, John chapter 11, John chapter 11, starting in verse, in verse one, we read this. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of man may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So let's just get what's happening here. Lazarus was on Jesus's closest friends. He's on his deathbed and his sisters know that Jesus loves him. And he's like, well, Jesus has healed strangers. He's healed people at a distance. So let's dial 911 for the the miracle worker we know. So they call out to Jesus, but for some reason he holds back. And so maybe you've you've had someone tell you the truth of verse five. You know, Jesus loves you. And they've spoken that to you, and you're like, hey, Jesus, Jesus cares for you. But you found yourself in a position of crying out to him and felt like he's just not there or that he's holding back or that he's absent. If you're feeling that way or have felt that way, this story shows us that you're not alone. Some of the people that Jesus was closest to had that, had that same experience. Okay, well, what happens here is Jesus eventually says, all right, it's time. And his disciples try to hold him back because there might be like a, a death warrant on Jesus' head. And so, but eventually Jesus convinces them to go. And they're like, all right, we'll go die with you. And as they're getting close, they get word that Lazarus has been dead for four days. And, and so Martha, 
right, Lazarus's sister comes out to meet Jesus, and and she just wants to know where where were you in the midst of all of this? So so look at verse verses twenty one through twenty two. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so she's like, Where were you? But I know that, that like, even now I still know that you can help, right? I, I know that you can ask God and, and God can fix this thing, right? And so, so she still has faith that Jesus can help her, right? But, but her question right now is, is like, where were you, right? We, we see that in, in verse, verse 23 and 24, um, even 25. Jesus said, said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, right? So because she believes in the afterlife, she believes in the resurrection at the end time, she's like, yeah, I know in the future we'll meet again, but that doesn't help me now. I don't know if you've ever been Romans 8.28'd, where someone, you go through a hard time and someone goes, hey, we know that God works all things for the good of those who love Jesus. And you're going, I get that, I know that, I trust in God's providence, but that doesn't magically take away the pain I'm dealing with now. And that's kind of where Mary's at when Jesus says that like, hey, your brother will rise again. She's like, that's a future reward, but that doesn't help me in my current pain. I mean, I think about a kid losing his tooth. Let's say like your, your kid loses its first, his or her first tooth. Um, that tooth is all they've ever known. It's like this is normal for them, their teeth. Um, that seems great. You've, you've told them to brush them and to cherish them, to take care of them. But when that thing gets loose, um, there's anticipation that like maybe this will one day go bad or something. But when it finally comes out, it's, there's blood and maybe a lot of blood, and, and the kid might get pale. And in that moment of, of losing something that, they, that they've always known and, and feeling that pain and seeing that blood and having that experience, you can sit there and tell them, like, it's going to be great because tonight we're going to put that under your pillow and this fairy's going to come in and make an exchange and you'll wake up tomorrow with money. Like, it's going to be so good. Like, that promise of future reward later that night um, is, is most likely not going to be enough for, for what they're experiencing in that moment, all right? And so what we're seeing here is that, that, that Martha's saying like, yeah, I get what's to come, but I need help now, all right? And this is what Jesus says to her. He, he says, I am, verse 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, Here's what he's saying. He's going, look, as you stand here, as you stand here in your desperate grief, your greatest need isn't isn't to have your brother back. It's to have me. You see, Jesus is life. He's life in the face of suffering and even in the face of death. And in pain, when we find ourselves going like, what could possibly be worth it? What could possibly in the future or in the now be worth what I am experiencing? And and in that grief, Jesus speaks to our hearts and he says, I am. I'm worth it. In verses 28 through 37, there's a very similar situation he has with Martha's sister Mary, the, the where were you? And, and we see Jesus breaking. Like he weeps, which means that Jesus isn't just detached from your pain. He's like, it's going to get better in the end. Like in the moment, he hurts with you. It says that he was heartbroken, that he was deeply moved. 
And then eventually what happens is he shows up and, and he speaks into the grave and calls Lazarus back to life, showing that he has ultimate authority, ultimate power over, over life and death. And so he can speak that. And so Jesus ultimately makes the situation infinitely better than they could have ever imagined it, all right? All right, so how does that help us in our suffering though, right? And so questions that I wrestle with when I read this is like, man, if Jesus, if Jesus knew he was gonna bring him back to life, and why'd he cry? If Jesus knew he was going to bring him back to life, he was going to make it right, then why in the world did he let them grieve for four days? Imagine those four days. Have you ever been around death where there's laughter, there's tears, there's anger, there's questions, there's, there's confusion, there's more tears, there's little glimpses of laughter, there's hurt, there's groaning. It's like for four days they, they had that emotional roller coaster. Why would Jesus allow them to experience that if he knew he could have saved them from it? Why? Right? Well, the space between Lazarus's death and Jesus is calling him back to life is the space where Martha is able to see Jesus for who he truly is. Her very life. You see, there's a difference between the Garden of Eden in Genesis and new creation at the end times. And we know that the Garden of Eden was good. And God's original design for humanity was very good, but new creation is even better. So sometimes we can, can fall into this trap of thinking we just got to get back to the way God meant things to be. We need to get back to Eden. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's not about going back. It's about moving forward because, because what's coming is better than anything that has ever been. What's coming is better than anything that's ever been. And so, so when we think about this, um, like how could it be better? Well, let's go back to Eden for a second. How, at what level of intimacy were Adam and Eve able to know God? They can know God as creator. They can know God as Lord, maybe as friend. But that's kind of where it stopped. But as we journey through history, because I think if we're writing the story, there'd be a straight line. Eden, new creation. Um, but the way that God writes the story is, is he weaves in all of the mess, like all of the good, the bad, and the ugly into history. At the very center, he stakes the cross, right? And, and so what we see, though, is, is how could it be better? Well, as we move through that time, that space of pain and suffering and the mess of life as we, as we go through history, what we realize is that we're able to know God on a much more intimate level than Adam and Eve ever could. Because we not only know God as Lord and as creator, but we, we know him as a savior. We know him as, as the, the husband, the bride of Christ. We know him as brother. We truly know him as friend. We, we get to know him as our resurrection and life but we also get to know him on the intimate level as a fellow sufferer. You see, for Christianity, the pain and suffering we experience is not an embarrassment to our faith. It's the, it's the very thread with which Jesus' name is stitched on our hearts. You see, the God of our imagination would just take us straight to the better that he would take us he would help us to escape immediately from our pain and suffering 
But the God of the Bible sees in his infinite wisdom and his goodness a reason for allowing us to go through it in such a way that we can know Christ on the most intimate level. See, at the cross, I'll say that we're big on the cross at Redeemer and looking to Jesus and what he has done and and what that means for us now. But I want to just be upfront that at the cross, we we don't get the answer to why. It's like, why am I going through this? We don't get our why questions answered. Um, but we do know what the answer is not. We know that it's not, or it can't be that God doesn't love us. We know that it can't be that God was um, indifferent, or that he just didn't care, he's disinterested. Because God cared so much about our pain and suffering that he willingly put it upon himself so that he could put it away. <laughs> So that he could put it away. All right. And so when we look to the cross, remember that Jesus is near to us in our pain and suffering. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, you know, when the author walks on the stage, play over. And what he meant by that is, is that we believe that God can and will remove all pain and suffering and evil from the world. But when Jesus steps back onto the stage to take care of that, the the play's over. The world as we know it will end and we will step into eternity. And so in the meantime, as as life continues to play itself out, as as Jesus waits to come back victoriously, we're given the opportunity in the pain, in the suffering, in the mess of life to know Jesus as the most important thing we could ever need to know him as Lord and Savior, as friend, as resurrection and life, as a fellow sufferer, to know him on the most intimate level. And, and so if you've never trusted in Jesus, I want to invite you this morning to know him. Maybe your pain and your suffering and your hard times is the very thing that has kept you away from God and, and God's saying, I want to speak to your heart this morning and invite you to know me in a way a saving way. Because when you enter eternity, right, you, you will either enter into the full presence of God's love and grace, or you will enter into the full presence of his justice and wrath. And God is inviting you to know him, to know his love and to know his grace for all eternity. So would you accept him this morning? Would you choose Jesus and trust him as your Lord and Savior? And if you do know Christ, I want to invite you this morning to take communion. Here in a little bit, um, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. But as you do, remember that, yes, the world is broken because of our sin. And we've all played a part in that. So take time to confess. Confess sins that you've committed this week. And remember that Jesus gave his body for you. But as you take the cup, remember that, that Jesus does not hold those against you, but that he's washed them away. That your right standing with God is not from what you can do, but what Jesus has done. And because of that, Jesus is your life and he is near to you. So whatever you're going through this week, whether it's a a good week or a bad week or somewhere in between, let communion be a reminder that Jesus is with you, that he's near to you. And let him be as real to you as the, the substance you hold in your hand. So let me pray for us that we're going we're gonna to move forward with, um, with the rest of the service and, and you'll have time to take communion after that. So God, I thank you this morning. I thank you for who you are and what you've done. But God, I know that pain is real. 
that it's not this intellectual thing to, to wrap our minds around. It's an experience we've all had from varying degrees, and it's real and it hurts. But God, you meet us in the, the grittiness of that. God, you identify with, with the anger we feel towards it. And you say, I, I care so much about it that I want to take it away and I want to put it on my own shoulders and carry it to the cross. So God, God, help us to, to experience healing. God, I do want to pray for that. I uh, ask that you would take us out of the hard times, um, if that's your will. But God, convince our hearts that what we need most isn't healing or escape. What we need most is you. So God, even if you don't, God, help us to find you. Be our life this week. And we pray. I hope you guys have a great week, and I hope to see you next week as we wrap this series up. Um, It's been good for me. I hope it's been good for you. See you guys soon. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.